Welcome back to Let Me Be Brief. I am your host, the only host today, Matt Basinger, interviewing the one and only Andy Rieger with the J. Rieger & Co. Distillery. We are in the Let It Fly Media Studios. This is brought to you by Emprise Bank and Swellspark. It's going to be a big day, Andy Rieger. It's just the biggest day of your life. My entire life culminates with this one moment. You know, we had a guest that reached out and said, hey, I love the show. I love who y'all are interviewing. I would love to know more about the hosts. This was not a Kansas City listener. And so we have said, let's give the people what they want. So today, we are turning the tables. We are sitting across from each other. Andy, let's get after it. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, softball question, what do you do? What do I do? So our company, Jay Rieger & Co., uh, was originally a pre-prohibition distillery founded in the 1800s by my triple great-grandfather. Uh, ended up quickly dying with prohibition. Uh, it was around for 38 years. And then we brought it back to life, formally launched it in 2014 uh, as a manufacturing company in 15,000 square feet. Uh, did nothing but the manufacturing side, brand building. And five years after that, we opened our second iteration of our company, uh, a mass-scale distillery where... Um, today, we've now got a total of 90,000 square feet, 60,000 for production, and 30,000 for various retail. As part of our project, we not only expanded our retail or our manufacturing, but we also pretty much created a district. We did this massive historical renovation on this property, created a concept with four different bars, historic exhibits, tours, gift shop, really an adult Disneyland. And it's something that we didn't really follow a blueprint. We just sort of uh, went to the beat of our own drum, and it's been a total whirlwind trying to figure out how to create a, a new style of a business model in a, an industry where it's a lot of just rinse and repeat. You're a very good drummer, Andy. Appreciate uh, it. Let's back up. So obviously you have had uh, you have had this history of uh, distribution creating alcohol. You, you obviously know how little I know about your industry, which is fun, even though we've been friends for years. But how did you get into this? Like, what were you doing before you had this dream and this vision of I wanted to tap back into my family's history and heritage? So the, you know, the, the whole real story was, um, you got to go back growing up as a kid, we always had old Jay Rieger and co bottles in our house, old shot glasses, old advertisements. But I always tell everyone, it's so easy to know about your family's history and not care. Everybody knows something about their their what their parents did or their grandfather. Or maybe you're fortunate enough to know about your great grandfather. Um, not many people know about their great 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 grandfather. Mm -hmm. But still, once you find out these history elements, that's all it is. It's not something that you act on. It's something that you understand what it was and you forget about it. So it really meant nothing. But uh, in 2010, the real story is my father actually was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I just took it upon my shoulders, realizing that if I didn't learn this really cool history of this family, then I would be the one who it all died with. So I really started to dig in, wanted to know as much as uh, he could possibly teach me. Uh, and at that same exact time uh, that he was about to pass away in August of that year, uh, there was a new restaurant announced in an old building called the Rieger Hotel. Mm -hmm. And the Rieger Hotel was something that my family built to coincide with the distillery. Uh, they built it to coincide with the new Union Station opening in 1914. And it was really the marketing arm of the distillery back in those days because everyone came in from Union Station. So they would always see this Rieger brand being really focused around. When that opened in December of 2010, 
I had to go. It was something that my dad said, if he wasn't around for it, I have to go. I have to see it. I have to check it out. I have to represent the family, being that I was really the last linear Rieger yeah. alive. Went there, met the guys, started a relationship of just whatever I can do to help you guys. Not financially, just I gave them a bunch of pictures for the wall, make it sure. seem about as real family as possible. Uh, and one of the guys who was the cocktail guy just goes, we should partner someday and restart the distillery. At that time, I was living in Dallas. Uh, what were you doing in Dallas? Uh, so I started out in the private equity world and then transitioned to investment banking and really got a good foundation for what finance was, what business was, um, consulting, really worked on a lot of underperforming companies, improved them through consulting, and then helped them raise money, um, sell them, buy acquisitions, whatever it was. But didn't come from this space came from a business mind, came from a finance mind, came from a yeah. private equity mind. And so really attacked this in a different way. And so, you know, on the founding team, we were able to pull in really awesome individuals, a gentleman who ran Maker's Mark as their master distiller and chief operating officer for 14 years, a gentleman who really helped Diageo around the world with Tanqueray sales uh, in all six continents that sell Diageo booze, and then a gentleman that was the master distiller of Tanqueray for 20 years. And so you're able to bring this team of all-stars together. And it was the summer of 2013 that I really didn't want to be a part of this. I wanted to stick with my job and continue living in Dallas. And my then-girlfriend, now-wife, just looked at me and she said, this team that you've put together just as this passive idea, this is what your dad was talking about when he said, only move to Kansas City or move home to Kansas City. If something exists that's meaningful and worthwhile yeah. and a real reason to do it. And she said, I think this is what he was talking about. So, so really, move back I, and there we go. I should be interviewing Lucy and not you, it sounds like. She is the mastermind of Lu putting us all together. Lucy is my wife, yes. Yes, <laughs> she is. <laughs> so how do you, I mean, like logistically, you go in and you're having a successful career doing banking, investment banking, lots of financial stuff that goes way over my head in Dallas. And you decide to pivot into this industry that you didn't have a lot of history in like how, did, how what was that learning curve like going from i talk about finances and numbers all day to i really care about the care and quality and flavor and branding uh like how did you do that yeah it's a um you know i describe a lot of activities as you have to give a shit and and that seems so obvious but it's so true and when you really care about something that you're doing you're dedicated to run a marathon. Um, you're dedicated to walking your dog on a daily basis. You're dedicated to starting a company. They are all the same thing because they all require dedication. It's a mental activity and a mental exercise. You are willing and able and capable of figuring out whatever it is you want to do as a person as long as your mind is willing to go there. And for a short period of time, before I even had kids, it was the most opportune time for me to get into something that I had no idea about. But keep in mind what I said a few minutes ago, the types of mentors mm -hmm. that were around were incredible. So the idea that I didn't have the ability to learn the industry was not something that I had to struggle with. I always had someone to go ask questions to, to try to figure it out, to try to translate it in a way that my mind worked. But Everybody worked well together because on this team we had, I mean, our, our distiller was a, a chemist. 
Our uh, my co-founder was a bartender. You know, we have the guy that knew international sales. We have the guy that knows how to make whiskey. The guy that knows how to make gin. And then you have the finance guy mm-hmm. and the business guy. And so everyone had these different skill sets, and we all just came together. And most companies that start in a particular industry, they really have people that are all about that industry coming together, not this wide variety of people with a business person that's overseeing it. So there's a lot of questions that always get asked of us. Why did you make this decision? Because it's not a standard industry decision. Sure. Well, because it makes sense from a business side because of this, this, and this. And so we're always able to ask questions. Why do you do it this way? Could we improve on it if we did it a different way? And so many people have enough experience in our particular industry that they can say, that doesn't work because we tried it and this is what the result is if you do it that way. Or they look at it and they say, I don't know. It seems like it could work and it seems like a good way of trying it. Let's do it. We're going to pause for a sec. Tucker? Tucker fucker. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're taking 30 seconds off this time. Are we good? We're, we're, We're good. All right. So you decide to open the distillery. What was that process like? Did you go seek after funding? Did you talk to banks? Did you talk to private equity? Did you talk to friends that you had met in the industry? Uh, The business side of getting that all together seems very intimidating for someone who doesn't come from private equity. What was that season like for you? So, you know, ran it really like a a private equity type startup, which it doesn't make total sense in the private equity world because that's not a thing. Um, But went out, raised money from, you know, well-off families, really. But the biggest thing that I, I navigated through with them, and you have to understand like the, the core whiskey industry, we weren't trying to be a, uh, a get-rich-quick company. We were a, let's build a brand, let's do everything the right way. It's going to take years to come to really honest fruition, but we'll get there because we're gonna, we have the best team. And so it's just, we got to make the, the financial side work because if we do everything correctly, we're going to get to a point, who knows where we get to five, 10 years from now and Anybody that's been to our facility now, you're probably like, you guys made a lot of good decisions along the way. But going out and raising money, but saying to them, if you're looking for dividends in a startup investment, this is not for you. This is a asset play. This is something that we're going to build the right way. We're going to not lose your money because of the asset build that we're going to have. But you have to be on board with that. And I had a few people in the initial round that just said, uh, that's, you know, I don't want to be in something for 10 years. And, and that was totally fine. But because I set the tone as to what they should expect, the people that stuck around, all of them are still around. They're all supportive of continued growth. They're all asking, what's the next move? Do we invest here? Do we invest there? And no one is even looking at us as, hey, when am I going to get my money? Mm-hmm. They're saying, you can deploy the money better than I could if you gave it back to me. Yep. Let's keep this thing going. Yeah. Where is the new growth? And so it's just that true honesty of at the very beginning deciding, you know, you're going to need money in a business over the long haul. We know we're a very capital intensive business, so we have to find good capital partners. So you start and scrappy isn't the right word, right? But like in the initial phase of of your distillery, as you mentioned, you're making booze and then you realize that there is this tremendous opportunity to be more than that. How has business been going since you opened the distillery, since you put in the slide, since you created this amazing space that thousands and thousands and thousands of folks have now been able to visit and learn and understand a little bit more of the heritage of what y'all are doing. It's, it is a total change, but you really have to break it up into different business lines. You, know, you have your manufacturing, you have your distribution, 
you have your administration and marketing, you have your on-site experiences. And so being able to sort of pivot those from one to the other as to what you're talking about and keeping them in their own silos, but knowing that they all need to communicate on the back end, that's where you start to grow. That's where you start to gain your synergies. That's where you start to gain your popular uh, profitability. The issue we've dealt with over the last couple of years is a little virus known as COVID. So we've never been able to actually put things into motion the way that we want. And so 2022 is a really exciting year because we just finished the outdoor garden bar. But the idea of getting into real estate as a component of it, mm-hmm. because it is not, it's all owner occupied. Yeah. So it's ours. It's it's we are the ones building it out. We're not go finding spaces and renting them. So we're really trying to do things that make sense for us over the next 15, 20 years. And it's something that we can look at and we can not only utilize our brand for an on-site experience that then helps grow our brand even further, but we're able to also utilize it to help change an entire neighborhood mm-hmm. using the goodwill that we've built, knowing that we can bring people down to an area that people otherwise wouldn't go. And so it's been really exciting just to see, I'll never forget the the big massive project that we did that we finished in 2019, the number of individuals, investors, banks, whatever it was that said, no one's ever going to come down here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what you do. And no one says that now. And that's probably the mo- biggest entrepreneur lesson. I hate that word, by the way, is everyone is going to doubt everything that you do until they realize that it was a really good idea. Until you do it. And yeah. then they're like, wow, this was brilliant. Yeah. Good job. And so everyone's always going to deal with that. And if you can power through that doubt, knowing that that is natural psychology for people to not want you to succeed, you'll be just fine. So now, and, and we met through kind of the Kansas City startup business, entrepreneurial community, um, you have been made to be kind of this shining example of what can be done in Kansas City. Uh, there's a, I can imagine that being a little bit of a heavy weight on Is your that why you put your hand on my knee every time we it co-host is. this? Yes, Got yeah. It. I just want to feel the power of your thigh. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, being in Kansas City now for, for the better part of a decade, uh, how have you seen the city change? What's it What's it been like to just see the catalyst of growth that you have been for the East Bottoms, but also what's your kind of hope of how Kansas City can continue to, to grow, how we can continue to be, whether in your industry specifically or just as an amazing city that is certainly making some good decisions? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the easier way to, to talk about this is just the city as a whole. And it's really simply described as urban infill. You know, we have so much space, open land, vacant land, uh, dilapidated buildings that can be renovated, dilapidated buildings that need to be torn down. And it's just stopping this extensive growth outside of the nucleus and getting even cooler, bigger, more high-end type projects to come to Kansas City that will bring those big, massive businesses. And so if you're a city that is struggling to continue to grow and One of my biggest issues that I have with general real estate development as a whole is everybody is developing with a five to seven year timeline for a return. And the problem with that is you can only do things at the market rate of today, not the market rate of the future. And if you think about a a square block and every project on that square block, and it's a dilapidated square block and everybody does their project and they're doing it to the market conditions today, Maybe your rents are five, seven bucks a square foot. We're making up numbers here. 
But if you say, you know what, in 15 years, this neighborhood could be really awesome. So we're going to build the first building here that's going to be really awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be 20 bucks a square foot. But because the building is so awesome, tenants are willing to pay it. Is the building worth it if that developer wants to go sell it to get their five-year return? No. No. It is not going to be worth it. And that's where you run into the issues is short-sighted investments for quick and immediate returns. It's the same reason why incentives have a really bad name in Kansas City or in the state of Missouri or even across the country is because people are utilizing them not for projects that they need sometimes, but sometimes people are developing projects just for the incentives. Mm -hmm. And so it muddies the water for everyone else that's trying to do the thing that the incentives are actually there for. I know if I get you talking about incentives that this is going to be a very long episode, so I'm cutting that off hard. As you look at the first couple of years that y'all have been open, what's the thing that makes you the most proud as far as what you've done? Um, you know, the thing that makes me the most proud with our business as a whole is the, the rare times that we reflect. We get so caught up in what we do on a daily basis, whether it's your business or your kids or your dog or your wife or your possessions, whatever it is. Um, and we are so used to it that when we actually reflect, and for us, our business, you know, every, my wife's our brand director. Every night that we ever walk out of work at the same time, we turn around and we look at the building. And we're like, this is the coolest building in the entire city of Kansas City. And we just forget about it so often. And our friends, when we go out to dinner with them, we always get annoyed because we only talk about what we did on a daily basis because they just want to hear about how, because to them it's so cool, mm -hmm. but we forget about it. And it's just that short-term self-reflection that I think does everybody so well to say, you know what, we have accomplished something thus far, even if it feels like we're running a business and we're constantly trying to problem solve and troubleshoot, it's those reflection moments that make you say, this is completely worth it. Yeah. All right, you know the last question. No kids, no wife. What is the coolest thing non-work-related that you have ever done? Uh, the coolest thing non-work-related that I have ever done in my entire life as a whole experience was I studied abroad in Copenhagen one semester in college. And I traveled all throughout Europe pretty much every single weekend. Copenhagen, I learned how to be... A uh, citizen there, it was just such an out-of-world experience trying to ingrain yourself in a different culture while getting to experience other cultures on a daily basis. Europe is absolutely crazy. If anyone's ever not been there, you have to go because every little city is completely different and they're all right next to each other. It's like going from Kansas City to St. Louis and you're in an entirely different world, um, which some people would say. Maybe that's the case with Kansas City and St. Louis. But yeah. Just going to Europe and traveling around there, if anyone can ever spend a month of your life just taking time off and doing that, it'll be the best experience you'll ever have. Well, Andy, it is a privilege to normally sit on the same side of the table as you, but uh, I'm so grateful for Emprise Bank bringing this whole thing together, Let It Fly Media Studios, letting us film here, and it's been just a real treat to get to know you in the Kansas City business community over the last five years and to be doing this podcast with you. Thanks for letting me turn the tables on you today. Matt, you're the man. Thanks for having me.